This is episode 600 on the Hidden Why podcast with Keith MacArthur. Welcome to the Hidden Why's 30-minute power segment. I am passionate about creating a lifestyle that minimizes suffering and regret. The purpose of life is not simply to survive, but to thrive, and I believe we do that by creating a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Each week, I'll be delivering a 30-minute conversation with a guest expert on a topic that they are knowledgeable and passionate about, with the purpose to inspire and educate us all. I don't have all the answers. I'm simply trying to figure life out, and through greater awareness and understanding, I can put into practice what I learn to further my life's progression. I can't give you your life's map. I can't show you the way, but I can assist you in discovering your why. I can help you define your life's compass to guide you purposefully to act on and pursue your life's desires. And from there, watch happiness ensue. My guests are the experts. They are the people I learn from. They provide the inspiration, education, and methodology that we can all benefit from in better navigating the ultimate life. Without further ado, let the show begin. Today's featured guest is Keith MacArthur. The topic is rebirth. Keith got a second chance in life in 2017 when his little sister donated one of her kidneys to him. Now he writes and podcasts about his journey to becoming happier and healthier. Keith is the creator of My Instruction Manual, a website, podcast, and book series providing high-quality personal development content. He is the author of several books, including 18 Steps to Own Your Life, Simple Powers for a Healthier, Happier You. You'll enjoy this conversation with Keith MacArthur. The topic is rebirth. Now, let the show begin. Hey, Keith, welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for having me, Lee. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Whereabouts are you in the world? I am in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. And what's happening your end? Well, you know, we've, we've, it's, so it's, it's almost spring here. It's the end of winter and we've had some really warm days, but tonight we're getting a, a snowstorm. So it's uh, it's a bit disappointing after it's been feeling so nice for the last few. Okay. Well, last of the snow before the uh, summer really hits in, huh? Let's hope. There you go. Well, it's the opposite scale here. We're uh, just coming out of summer and uh, it's certainly quite warm uh, this morning here, which is kind of unusual. Usually it's pretty okay. cool anyway where I am, but um, welcome to the podcast. Look, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, the topic today is rebirth, uh, which is uh, sounding very interesting topics, topic, so hopefully for the audience that's intriguing enough to, to stay hooked and stay in. Um, but look, first of all, let's just start with that topic, rebirth. What does it mean to you? Well, rebirth is something that I'm personally very passionate about, and it's because of a personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about sort of rebirth in a born again, you know, kind of way. This is about me feeling like I really got a second chance at life because one year ago today, I was dying. So I was in a place where my kidneys were failing, and I knew that if I didn't get dialysis or a transplant soon, I would die. Mm. And if you know anything about kidney failure, it's a funny thing because if you live in in a country with, you know, good healthcare, even though you're you're literally dying, you know that you're probably not going to die because you've got two options. You've either got dialysis or a transplant. Um, and the doctors want to sort of give you one of those two things before it gets to the, before you get over the edge, right? So it's almost like taking a poison that's kind of slowly killing you over months, but just before you actually die, you're going to get an antidote. Um, but I was feeling old and tired and my brain was getting foggy. I was feeling confused. 
there were lots of foods I couldn't eat anymore because my, my kidneys couldn't remove toxins from my body. So things like tomatoes and avocados and whole grains were, were kind of out of the picture. And I, I just really felt old. I was in my early 40s and I felt like an old man. Um, and again, if I, if I didn't either get a matched donor or go on dialysis, um, I was going to die. Now, mm. the transplant option is better because if it works, you go back to living a normal life. Dialysis means you're hooked up to a machine for close to half of your life and your blood is basically removed from your body uh, every day and or every couple of days and cleaned and you feel pretty sick and your life expectancy is shorter. Yeah. So I wanted a transplant. Mm. Uh, and, and wanting a transplant, this brought up my worst insecurities because I started to to feel like, what if nobody actually cares enough about me to want to donate a kidney? Um, but the amazing thing was that there were so many people that came forward and wanted to help. My sisters, my wife, cousins, friends. There was even one guy who I had never actually met in real life. Like 10 years ago, we had some business meetings together uh, on conference calls, and we were still connected in social media, and he offered to donate a kidney to me. So that kind of blew my mind. Mm. But then my my sister did the testing. She was a match, and it was like a dream come true. So I, I got my new kidney about a year ago, almost a year ago, and now I'm back to 100%. I feel better than I have in years, and it really is a miracle and this miracle, this second chance at life, this rebirth, made me realize that I had a kind of a chance to, to do my life over. I could change my life in a way to be a much better me. Wow. Yeah, what an experience to go through. Um, and, you know, obviously lovely compassion out there around you as well, which is amazing. Um, I couldn't imagine going through an experience like that, um, you know, to be that close to um, Perhaps the end of the life and then to, to be given that second chance would be quite eye-opening. I, I suppose your perspectives on the world and how you live your life um, totally did a backflip. Is that right? They, they really did. And, you know, here's the thing. I kind of feel like I had a few things that really could have made me change my life that could have caused a rebirth. One is that uh, I have two sons and my younger son was born with a severe disability, both mental and physical. So he can't, uh, he, he has a lot of challenges. Um, he can't speak. He's in a wheelchair. Um, he's, he's continuing to grow every day, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, as a parent, you never expect. Um, so, so I kind of feel like I had this kind of one life changing event and then something else happened when my father died, uh, a, a couple few years later. Um, but it was really going through this experience and feeling like I was almost dying and then getting rescued and being brought back. Uh, that that really did make me want to change my life. Yeah, so a couple of um, you know very very si- serious events uh, by the sounds of it happening in your life, um, and you still sound really positive. Um, so I guess you're you're quite resilient in that sense as well. <laughs> I, I guess so. I, I mean, I try to be. I think you know there's certainly days where uh, resilience is is more challenging than others, um, and and you know even before my transplant, it's not like I was. A failure. I had a great family, great jobs. I took care of my health, and I feel like I was mostly a good person. But it, going through the kidney disease and the transplant just really made me think about my life differently and realize that this is the only one I've got. And so I, it kind of really did change my perspective on everything. And I kind of realized for the first time that I didn't really know how to live. I kind of feel like if there was a class in preschool where they taught you, uh, where they handed out the guidebook for how to be human. I missed that day. And there was a lot of things that I really just didn't know about, you know, happiness and health and forming better relationships and being more organized and setting and achieving goals and, and dreams. And 
so after my transplant, I just kind of set out to learn as much as I can about all of that and, and you know, read self-help books and listened to podcasts like yours and, you know, kind of just ingested all the, that I could. And there's a lot of bad information and bad advice out there, but I kind of took the best of what I could and, and put together my own instruction manual and mm. started blogging about my experience and podcasting about my experience. And now uh, I've written a book about that experience. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. And then helping others, um, no doubt, to, to live through those experiences as well. But who does this topic of rebirth relate to? Who does it affect? You know, I think it really affects everyone. Hmm. Obviously, every single day we go through tiny bits of rebirth, right? There, we're constantly going through phases where we evolve. Hopefully, everyone's evolving a little bit every day. But I think there's a difference between that and what I'm kind of thinking of in terms of a rebirth, because I know that in my own life, I was constantly, you know, trying to get better and evolve. But often it was like a step forward and a step back. And what I like to, to tell people now after what I've gone through is that you don't need to wait for a life changing event to change your life. You can change it right now. And, you know, I, one of the things that I've become really interested in is this idea of post-traumatic growth. And you've probably had people on your podcast, you know, like me, who have been through these life-changing events that do go to, on to change for the better after going through this kind of trauma. Um, there's one one guy that I've, I've talked to on my podcast. I don't know if, if you uh, have, have spoken with him or know him, but uh, an American living in, in Australia, Quirk Ashley, hmm. who was a uh, Hollywood actor and was on set one day and watched... Uh, a whole bunch of other people on the set die in a helicopter crash, and he was supposed to be in that helicopter. Yeah. And he talks about how you know that really brought him down at first and brought him to a terrible place where he was a drug addict and suicidal. But then he found the strength to kind of bounce back and get to a place where he wanted to teach other people to be better as well. So you know, I think there's definitely post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also this post-traumatic growth that, um, that can happen from these tough experiences. Okay. So that's, um, yeah, really explains who it relates to. And I, and I absolutely agree. I think rebirth is important for everyone. But when we talk about when does it occur, I mean, it's obviously, you know, when you have those traumatic events in your life, certainly it, it, it wakes you up a little bit and, and causes some change. I've never really had a traumatic event in my life, but I did have um, some time in my life where I went through these these changes and I just couldn't make sense of what I was doing. And that's what really led me to saying, well, this is not how life should be, I don't think, so I'm going to do something about it. Um, and that's slowly, gradually happening. And in my experience, I've gone forward and backwards and forwards and backwards. I'm still doing it. Um, so, you know, it's a really, it's a really challenge thing, challenging thing to live through. And I know the question I want to ask you, I suppose, is how, how do we go without the traumatic event happening? How do we actually start to turn it around because um, from my perspective and probably from a lot of others, it seems like that is certainly um, often a way for, for people to make those significant changes, whereas other people may want to do it, but really never get there, you know? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I think that so many people, you know, and, and everybody wants to get better, or I think most people want to get better. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there is there is a barrier, and often it does take some kind of big wake-up call. But I think the first thing that people really need to do is to actually make a choice that they want to change and get better, and then to continue making that choice. I think sometimes we have to make a, a choice to change our lives, you know, hundreds of times in a single day. And obviously, 
by, I, I mean, I can give you an example, which is that shortly after the, the transplant, um, I was out one night with my wife and she looked at me and, and said, you know, you've really, you just seem like a different person. Like you're, you've got a totally different attitude towards life. You're more patient, more caring. And so it felt really good that, you know, she had noticed this change in me, but then a few weeks after that, I was starting to, to move backwards. Even after what I'd gone through, I was tr- starting to take my life and people and, and things that I have to be grateful for, for, for granted. So I think that, you know, it can happen all the time, but what I, what I really just needed to do is to go back and make that choice that I did want to continue to grow, that I wanted to own my life and keep getting better and stronger. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a few thoughts that come to mind here, but it's, you know, change seems to, well, change is impermanent, first of all. Um, but that choice to, ch- uh, the, the choice to want to change, um, comes in that moment where you make that decision yet. Yeah, this is what I want to do. And whilst nothing might seem to change in that moment, um, that's certainly when, um, momentum starts. Is that sort of what you believe as well or feel? I, I do, but again, I think that it's, you know, I think that there's not just one, one choice, you know, I think that when people think of changing their lives, often they think that it takes a couple or, or a few really big steps, but I think it's more like a million tiny steps that we have to make. And so we're constantly making that choice to improve and get better. And sometimes we're going to move backwards, but if day after day, or at least week after week, we can kind of see ourselves moving forward, then, then that's really what the definition of growth is, isn't it? It's a positive thing. So what, what sort of changes, I mean, do you typically experience? Like, I mean, is this change that people just want to be happier? People want to be healthier? People want to change jobs? People want to change their diet? Is, is it all encompassing? I, I think it is. I think it is. I think that, you know, I think that the growth is so key and, one of the things that I realized when I was feeling sick is that I sort of lost my will to live. And it wasn't that I was suicidal, um, but it was that things that I used to enjoy um, just were difficult for me. I was having trouble focusing. And so instead of trying to focus on you know, writing or other things that were important to me. I, I was just kind of sitting in front of the TV uh, for a lot of the day and because I, I just couldn't do what I wanted to do. And it was really enlightening to me how important growth is to my own happiness. Mm. Yeah, look, it's, it's one of the uh, six pillars on my ultimate life map that I've designed and, and growth is that. It's just one of those fundamental needs that we, I think we we have to have in our daily life if we want to really continue towards greater happiness. Um, so I couldn't agree more with you there. Um, so look, looking at change and, and that fundamental need for growth, how do you work with people? Uh, I'm just trying to sort of extract some, some practices or tips and advice here to uh, help other people that are listening out there that perhaps are at that point where they said, yeah, look, this is really not happening for me. I want something different from my life. Um, where do we start? Well, so in in my new book, 18 Steps to Own Your Life, I sort of outline four areas of focus. And the first one is about building the foundation, right? So um, it's a bit of a cliche that you have to start with building the foundation, but I think it it is really true that we have to start with things like um, identifying our values, making a choice, like I I talked about, um, 
And then once we've built the foundation, we can move on to focusing on our own personal health and happiness. So it's it's a bit selfish the way we start. We have to focus on ourselves, I think, first. Mm-hmm. And so some of the things that I talk about in terms of health and happiness are, you know, things like like eating better, like exercising, um, like focusing on gratitude and giving up on on um, complaining. And then once we've done those things where we're focused on ourselves, then it's time to start working on our relationships with others. Uh, so that's things like uh, how to kind of connect better with with new people that we meet and also how to bolster the relationships that we have with the people who are closest to us. And then the fourth area that I talk about is about being better organized and, and more productive. And I think a lot of the people that I speak with want to start with that fourth area because they feel like that's going to help them to get more done and be more successful. But I think that it's so important to do all of that other work first before you can really start to uh, do the things that are going to make you more organized and, and more productive. Okay, so ultimately, um, these these four areas of focus um, are designed to what help us through the transition and really go in a direction that we want in life? Yeah, what I call it is owning your life, right? And so I think of it as, I think of owning as, as two different things. So owning has the meaning of, of possessing. So finally, being in control of your own life. I think so often we kind of just go with um, with the flow and kind of let other people dictate uh, how, how we should act or how, how we should be. Um, even if you think of something as simple as, um, you know, the way that many people are with their calendar at work, uh, they they don't control their own calendar. They let other people fill it up with other people's priorities instead of blocking time for the things that they need to get done so that they can achieve their biggest goals and wildest dreams. So I think uh, I think that's a, a big part of it. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Um, I also think that it's, you know, with, within as well, you know, focusing on the mind and, and not letting it have its way because it often, um, you know, controls us. And, and if we're at mercy to it, um, we often don't move towards the things we want because it, it sort of tries to protect us. It's probably trying to be, be the good guy, but it's, it's really not helping uh, in many of the situations that I've experienced in my life. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's true. And that's why I think, you know, things like um, meditation that can help us to uh, sort of a, a get around our, our the ego part of our brain and really just focus on on being can be really helpful. Yeah, Absolutely. So look, going back to building the foundation, um, you, you mentioned that you know we need to look at our, our values. How does one um, seek to understand what they value? What, what are your sort of guidance on that? Well, I think that the most important thing, and this is something that you know really has stuck with me for years and years, and it comes from uh, the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the I things that, that, that Stephen Stephen Covey talks about in there is to to imagine yourself at your own funeral and. What are the things that people are saying about you? Is it is it that you were a, a great worker, or is it that you were a great father, uh, or is it that you were a great friend? How do you want people to remember the life you lived? And on on my podcast each week, I ask my guests that question: When your time comes, how do you want to be remembered? And the answers, I think, um, you know, really are are enlightening. So uh, that's that's one of the things: is to imagine how you want to be remembered. Mm. And then I think there's a, n- a number of other good questions that can help you as well. I actually, it's interesting because I, I have a, a 
teenage son. He's 14 years old. And I was telling him about this idea of imagining how you want to be remembered. And he kind of turned to me and he said, what do I care? I'll be dead. So that works for a lot of people. I think for some people it doesn't work. So there's also questions that you can think through like, um, you know, just what, what do I in, enjoy doing? Um, what are the things that, uh, when people, uh, the people that I want to be more like the people that I respect and admire, what are the traits that they have? I think those are some of the things that can help us identify our values as well. Yeah. I really like all of those. Um, you know, the traits of the people that you admire. I was, I remember doing that when I was looking at the people, the podcasts I was listening to, uh, what do I actually admire about these people? And it wasn't everything that I admired about them, but there was certain aspects of them and I've put them all together. I said, well, that sort of probably defines me uh, greatly as well. So I enjoy that. Um, you know, with these values too, it, it, for me, it, it seems to change over time. And, you know, talking to your, how old's your son? 16, did you say? He's 14. 14. So 14 year old son, someone in their early twenties, someone in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. Um, the values seem to change. And obviously I feel that the the longer we live, the wiser we become. Um, and certainly our values become more real. Uh, certainly in my experience, it has the things I used to value or thought I valued when I was in my early 20s. Um, I've totally changed now and, and things are totally uh, different for me, uh, perspective-wise, as far as those values go. Um, I, think that's, I think that's true. And I think, I think there's a lot of growth that comes with how we think of values as we age as well. Because I think that when you're young, often you think of your values as a badge. They're something you wear. They're the way that you want other people to think about you. But I, I don't think that's where they're really worthwhile. I think values are worthwhile when they are really the foundation for the important decisions that we need to make in our lives. So it has to be more than just how you see yourself and how you want other people to see you. They need to be more about, uh, you know, when when push comes to shove, how am I prioritizing my life? Yeah, and, and well, how do we tap into that? Because I, I feel that there's going to be a lot of people out there go, okay, well, what are my values? And then they're going to immediately look externally um, for for those cues or questions or answers, um, you know, looking on social media and defining their values based on external uh, realities rather than looking sort of within. How do you tap into that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I you know, I was thinking about this uh, recently about how um, – and I don't know if it's because of the, the change that I went through after my transplant or if it's just me getting older, but I've, I've sort of have just gotten to the point where I, I don't care what other people think in the same way. I remember actually when I was a kid that uh, my my dad would go running and it, when it was cold in the winter, instead of wearing gloves or mittens, he would put socks on his hands. And I was so embarrassed as a kid that he would go out and, and do this. I was like, don't you care what people think of you? And now, now I feel like I'm that guy. Like I don't, I, I, if someone wants to judge me for that, then they're probably not the kind of person who I, I care what they think anyway. So um, I, I think that, <laughs> yeah, I think that it. I think that part of that is just um, maturity, and um, I think that over time we we are able to kind of focus less on what other people are thinking or look looking for external validation for our values, and really centering ourselves and focusing more on what is important to us. I mean, we, we learn so much by living and by failing. And so, you know, the, the, the less life you've lived, the less chances you've had to, to live and to fail. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's perhaps just part of the journey. Um, and I think, you know, sort of by really, even if they're not your values immediately, 
by going out there and taking action towards them, um, you will start to realize whether they are or not as well. Um, and, and it's just an example, very simple example. I had a, I used to use a vision board. I don't use them anymore and I don't, not, I don't disagree with them, but I just don't use them myself. Mm-hmm. And I used to put a, a picture of a, a Jaguar a car on the, on the wall as well. Okay. Um, and then after a while, I realized that that's just not what I'm really about in life. And that's what not really I value. I don't, I've never been a car person. I like the looks of it. It looks sexy. Um, but other than that, it doesn't really have much meaning to me. So it sort of lived no purpose by being there. Um, but only by having it there for, a, you know, it was a few years where I had it on my vision board, did I, did I get to realize that. And that sort of helped me, again, tap into what I truly value in life. And that's, a, you know, a part of the journey, I think. And sometimes it takes time to, to have these realizations. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because it's probably, even when you put it on your board, it probably wasn't about the car itself, but what it symbolized in, in sort of how you saw yourself in terms of where you wanted to be. And that, that sounds like that's something that, that has evolved for you. Yeah, well, that symbolization of, of who I thought I wanted to be uh, was based on how, how I thought I was expected to, to, to live this life, you know, and, um, and I guess that was based on caring about what others thought of me rather than really just caring about how I want to be and how I want to live my life, if that makes sense. That's right. Now, now you're running with socks on as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I on your hands. <laughs> I go for a swim now in my in my we call them dick togs. Um, okay, and you know that's typically I wouldn't have done that, and I still see people my age that would uh, be terrified to do that. Um, but I'm just like, ah, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't care. And my dad used to do it all the time. I think, geez, dad, like that's just embarrassing. Just like yourself, you know, socks in the hands. Uh, right. And now I'm doing it. So there you go. Interesting stuff. Look, um, next one I want to talk about is is health and happiness. Um, health, first of all, I mean, you talked about, you know, good eating and exercise. Um, and, and look, a lot of that seems to be common sense. People go, yeah, well, if I want to be healthy, then that's what I have to do. Um, but it's a lot more complicated than that. What sort of advice would you give on anyone there starting in that area? So what I've really tried, what I've really tried to do with the book is to, to simplify some things. So if you think of something, for example, like, like eating, like nutrition, um, I find that it can be so confusing and Mm. it can also be so wrong. If you just, I mean, if you look at the top 10 nutrition books out there, they're full of conflicted advice. They're full of outdated advice. Um, They can be biased on the one hand by either the food industry or on the other hand by, you know, people who are focused more on things like, uh, like animal rights and, and that kind of thing. And while that's a noble goal, I think that, you know, focusing on, how how animals are cared for is is a different thing than pure nutrition. So I think it's important to, to separate those things, even if they're, they're both things that you believe in. So when it comes to food, for example, I basically just try and simplify things and give three things that I think we should eat more of and three things that I think we should eat less of. So for example, the three things that we should eat more of, they're all, all plants. So generally I think that we should be eating, um, you know, most people can, can do with eating a lot more plants. And so they're, uh, oats. So, so oatmeal and not the kind that you buy, um, you know, in packages with sugar, but the kind that, that you actually take time to cook, um, are, are fantastic for you. Um, green leafy vegetables and legumes like uh, like chickpeas and kidney beans and those kinds of things. Um, and, and I also offer just just a general practical tip that when you're trying to decide what to eat, um, choose foods that are 
dense in nutrients, but not dense in energy, right? So yeah. the, the more new nutrition you can get out of something with the lowest calories is always going to be a better choice to consume. Yeah, good advice. And there is a lot of confusion out there. But um, do you have a particular diet preference? I mean, I to me, it just comes down basically to that that simple yeah. rule, yeah. Um, the, the nutrient rich over over uh, energy rich. Uh, and my, my son actually, who I, I referred to a few minutes ago, the 14 year old, he has, uh, over the last couple of months gone vegan. And so in, in we're not, my wife and I are not vegan. Um, and my other son is certainly not vegan, but it has changed the way we approach food. So we're, we're having a much more plant-based diet in the house. Yeah. And I think that that can only be a good thing. Yeah. That's, that's what I sort of gather as well. But, um, you got to sort of learn that I think through the, through the experimentation part of life, um, which is important and, uh, happiness. You talk about happiness. What, what is your, how do you define happiness? Hmm, that's a great question. I mean, it almost feels like it's something that is impossible to define. It feels like it's one of those things that we need to actually experience it to know what it is. Um, it, or, or even I might put it differently and say that, I don't. I, I can't necessarily define happiness, but when I feel unhappy, I I absolutely know it. And so maybe it's as simple as just just saying that it's removing as much of the the unhappiness as possible from from your life. And that doesn't mean that there's not discomfort. I mean, I think that we always are going to have fears and things that make us sad or angry, and it's important to live in those feelings and feel those feelings. But um, but but I think that that happiness is is something something different. It's when we're when we're being our best version of ourselves in our mind. Mm. Yeah. How, how would how would you define happiness? Yeah, I've, I do have my own definition, but I can't remember it word for word. But <laughs> I sort of um, you know, like what you said, then I, I believe it, it's about dissolving the suffering in our life, and I believe suffering is is a lot uh, self caused. So it's about doing your best to continually remove the suffering from your life and uh, moving more as much as you can into the moment. Um, and a pretty pure example that I can relate to recently, uh, when I was in Japan, I, um, I used to go for a bit of a jog or a walk uh, in the mornings, depending hmm. on how I was feeling. And, and I had this particular route and I'd just jog and it went sort of around these houses down by the river up and around past some rice paddocks and stuff like that. And I just remember the moment on that jog where I was just in 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 the jog, really in the moment. Um, and I just had that, that Japanese fresh air coming through. I could see the rice paddies around me. There's a few houses as well. And it was just in that moment that I felt just absolutely free um, and without any suffering. And um, it was just quite, I felt really happy. Um, and that's, that's sort of how I relate to it. And I looked at that moment and it's because I wasn't thinking about the future. I wasn't thinking about the past. I was just absorbed in the moment. Um, there was nothing particularly exciting happening. I was, I mean, I was jogging, uh, which is pretty good, but I just felt really free and fulfilled in what I was doing. And, and that was to me happiness. Yeah. I think, I think you, you struck on a really important point there where you talked about not living in the past or, or the future, but being in the present. I think that that is when, when you mention it, it seems like that is a really important component of happiness. Yeah. And it's, it's about sort of in that moment, regardless of the pleasure or pain or adversity that you might be experiencing, is just being content. Um, and if you get yeah. to that point, um, then no matter what comes your way, you can always just find that, that peace and the joy. 
um, which is really important. Yeah. So look, mate, you've got a uh, fantastic book um, just been released, uh, 18 Steps to Your Own Life, Simple Powers for a Healthier, Happier You. Um, so I'm going to stick the link in the show notes. So if you guys listening out there, if you want to uh, support Keith on his journey, um, have a look at the, the book. Uh, that'll support your journey as well. Uh, I'm sure it's filled with great information, uh, practical tips and stuff, uh, as we've been discussing in this episode. So check it out. Use the link at the show notes in the hidden, at thehiddenwire.com. Uh, and you can pick up a copy through Amazon there. That helps support the show as well. So Keith MacArthur, been an absolute pleasure talking with you this morning. Thank you so much, Lee. All right, guys, check it all out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thank you for tuning in and listening to today's conversation. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to take something away, something to help you create a more meaningful life, a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Guys, if you love the content that I produce here at The Hidden Why, there are a few ways you can support me. Firstly, connect with me. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can connect with me online at thehiddenwhy.com or via social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to connect with you. If you've got any thoughts, comments, feedback, suggestions, or anything at all that you'd like to ask me, you can reach me at thehiddenwhyguy at gmail.com. While you're there, guys, make sure you subscribe to thehiddenwhy.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can be kept up to date with all the new episodes and happenings here at The Hidden Why. If you love what you heard in this episode, guys, or any of the others, please share the love. Share it with your family, friends, and anyone you think that might get some value. If you haven't already done so, you can also leave me a review on iTunes. Simply head over to iTunes, type in The Hidden Why, click the Ratings and Reviews button, and leave me a short message plus a one to five star rating. It helps me reach more people. Once again, guys, I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day to support my show. Until next time, you know what to do. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose, and in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is the Hidden Why Podcast. My name is Liam Arnoldsey. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.